You're listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, episode 89. You're talking about putting your fuck parts in my head where my brain lives. You know, in nature, only a handful of creatures made for life. But isn't that, like, cheating? We can't do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why not? The safety word is banana. It is so refreshing to be with someone who likes to fuck outside the box. This is the Touch of Flavor podcast. Dating and relationship advice by kinksters for kinksters. Join us as we tackle BDSM, sex, non-monogamy, and how to build extraordinary relationships in an ordinary world. And now your hosts, Cassie and Rigel. All right, folks, welcome, welcome to our first question and answer episode of 2020. I kind of miss these. We haven't done one in a while. Yeah. We're all on the relationship skills episodes lately, which are great. Don't get me wrong, but Q&As are fun. So I'm happy to be doing it. And we're going to be doing another Q&A soon. Do you want to just kind of talk about that real quick and tell people where they can send their questions about this? We already have a few questions about the coming baby, the the baby that is coming, um, currently pregnant. And folks picked that up from an episode a little while ago. And we started getting some questions about, you know, what's going on with the baby? How far along are you? And some other baby-related questions. It's not something we've really talked about much for reasons we can, I guess we'll discuss on that episode. But so what we're going to do, because people are asking questions and people are antsy about it, is we're going to do a baby Q&A episode. Unlike the episode with Man Cub, the baby will not be doing this episode. We will be doing it, but it will be about the baby. Amanda will be coming on. So if you have questions about, I don't even know what people are asking, So we've gotten a lot of like personal questions and those are fine. We don't mind. If we do, we'll let you know. And we won't answer it. So just send it in. So we've gotten a lot of personal questions, but also I figured I would open it up if you have questions about our opinions on baby related things as far as polyamory and, and dealing with those sort of things. I'd be happy to answer some questions on that. Yeah. Send those in. I'll say we're going to give priority to the people asking questions about our situation specifically because a lot of people seem concerned. Concerned isn't the right word, but curious, I guess, and sad that we haven't talked about it more. So yeah, go ahead and send that out. So yeah, if you have questions about our little one coming, or if you want to throw in some questions about, you know, babies and polyamory, you can do that by either answering the thread that we will have in our Facebook group, because I'll put one up, or you can send it in through the normal channels for our podcast, which is you can call in the question or you can write it in. Yeah, the way to do both of those things is to go to atouchofflavor.com forward slash ask, A-S-K. It'll be there. A couple of other things housekeeping wise. So we're rolling into 2020. As I said, this is the first Q&A of 2020. Uh, so if you haven't already, couple new year related things, right? Number one, if you haven't, check out episode 88, the last one we did. It is called 10 Poly Secrets We Learned in 2019, and it is just that. It is 10 things that we learned from working with our clients this past year. There's a wealth of information in there. Use it. Use our experience from all the people we work with, hack your relationships to the next level. Give that a listen. Other thing is we are going to be doing, uh, we're putting together a podcast episode 
now that's going to be how to improve your polyamorous relationships in 2020. I think that'll be the next episode coming after this, coming out after this. So definitely make sure that you check that out. Listen to the next one. Make sure you subscribe to us on whatever your favorite podcast channel is. One last thing. This is something that we're really bad about doing. But, uh, you know, a lot of you have been following this podcast for a long time. A lot of you send in amazing feedback. Do us a favor. If, if this podcast is something that's helped you, if it's something that you like, leave a review on iTunes or whatever podcast service you use, but iTunes is definitely the most popular one, the one where the most people find us, so that other people who are interested in building better relationships, it's easier for them to find us. iTunes takes all that stuff into account when it's picking what the show. We have been really bad about asking for that. I don't think we've ever actually asked for that in the history of the show. Somebody's going to dig it up somewhere the one time we did that I'm wrong. I think there was one time I put it in our Facebook group that was like, hey... Leave us an iTunes review. But if this helps you, if this is something that's helped your relationships, help other people find it, leave a review. We'll put that link in the show notes, atouchflavor.com forward slash 089. Just leave an honest review. Help other people find this stuff, build better relationships. All right. And I think that's all of the housekeeping stuff. So without further ado, let's hop into your questions. Hey, guys. Um, I listen to your podcast regularly and I love it, but I need a little bit of help. Um, I am having a squirting problem. Um, I used to be able to squirt, no problem, with all my partners. Um, And then I had a dom um, who kind of broke my boundaries and consent and uh, uh, probably six months ago. And ever since, I've not been able to squirt. And I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Everyone tells me that I'm just blocked mentally and I need to just relax. And I need to just stop overthinking and let it happen with my newer partners that I do trust. Um, but there's just a bunch of block there. And I don't know what to do to fix it. Um, do you have any specific ideas on what I can do to help unblock that mentally? Because I can feel it. I'm there. I know I'm able to. I just can't. And I don't know what to do. And it's frustrating to me and my current partner. And I just want it to just come back. Please help me squirt again. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, my God. I want to help I somebody squirt again. I love it. All right. That's great. I just that I that was great. All right. This is why I love the voice messages. Yeah, because we can't read you guys' stuff. We could. We can't read you folks' stuff. I mean, we could, but... but we, we, we never know the inflection, you know, that you have. So it's always fantastic when we get the voice messages. So, yeah. So I actually want to start. I think okay. you should. I think this is an area you'll have more to talk about than me. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> Um, so I will say before Cassie gets all super helpful on this one, uh, that yep, yeah, squirting is hot. I've had a couple of partners who have, uh, you know, I'm thinking of somebody years ago who like, it was like drowning every time you ate pussy, which was hot. I think maybe a little awkward for her sometimes, depending on if we were like out in public and she had to worry about like ruining the place, but hot. Or clothes that she had. Or anything around <laughs> in a three feet radius <laughs> i do i'll never forget the first time that we were we were playing with her and like 
I thought I drowned. <laughs> it was great. I don't know. You still talk about how shocked I look on that one. Yeah, you 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 came up with this face. And when I say come up, I mean literally like came up from 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 waist <laughs> level like I'm breathing again. Um and yeah, the the shock level was pretty pretty amusing. Not cuz she not cuz I never played with anybody who squirted, but because it was so much. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. But yes, that's fun. I can understand why you would want to do that and why your partner would be interested in that. So And why you want to bring it back. Yeah. So something I want to touch on is you mentioned a while back that something happened that gave you a mental block. So the first thing I want you to do is actually take a look and see if anything biologically has changed during that time as well. Because sometimes what happens is we'll have a mental block or we'll have something that happens, but we'll also have a change in a physical thing that happened. And then we just assume it's the the mental block. So let me give an example. Like maybe you changed your birth control in between that time and now. You're also with a different partner. Yeah. Who could be doing things differently. Yeah. So there's there's a couple of things that could be going on there that could change those factors, whether it's different technique, whether it's birth control, whether it's hormones. So you want to check and see if there's actually something physically different that may have changed during that mental block period. So maybe it started with a mental block, but then something also changed in between. It's really easy to kind of go to the, well, I had this thing happen and now that's why it won't happen again. So do definitely take a look at those things. The next thing that I would suggest is don't do this with your partner. Stop trying to make it a goal with your partner for right now and practice with yourself. What were things that got you to be able to squirt prior to this new partner, prior to that negative experience you had? So if you know that certain toys or certain positions or certain pressures in certain ways did it for you, Try experimenting with yourself so there isn't that pressure of, oh, I let my partner down and I didn't squirt and we were trying to make you know the squirting happen and my partner was moving in the way that I asked and all this. And, and that can put a lot of like mental pressure on you and also a little bit of pressure on your partner, which then makes sex maybe not as fun and enjoyable, which then carries over and makes more stress. So try doing these things by yourself. If you know bending over and a lot of pressure on your G-spot from behind is what makes you squirt, well, bend yourself over, use a toy. Get creative with the positions that you're using with yourself and the toys that you're using with yourself and see if you can make you squirt. And then from there, work with your partner. Because maybe it is your partner is a little bit different as far as uh, their technique. Maybe their shape is a little different. I know myself, years and years ago, I had one partner who was slightly different shaped. And that made a very big difference in my orgasms. The curve made a big difference. And (laughs) honestly, the person who had the curve was actually a little smaller than the person who was not, not by a lot, but there was, there was some size difference, but the curve made all the difference. Yeah. And the only thing I'll add, because Cassie really nailed this, 
if this is something that you're making a goal during sex and you know you're having problems with, it's just going to A, make it harder for you to do that and B, make sex potentially stressful and not fun, which then is going to be a whole cycle, right? So like Cassie said, focus on that, working on that on your own time for now until you get that down, right? And then leave sex for actually like having sex and connecting with your partner and take that potential stressor off the table so that you can have fun and you can relax. And then later, you know, who knows, maybe if you're not focusing on it, maybe it happens, but take the, take the practice time that trying to do that time is something that you do on your own. And I'm going to give one last thing. And this is like an actual like squirting technique thing, right? We kind of talked about the, the looking at the physical, the mental, the physical, something that helps girls squirt a little bit better, right? A little easier is before sex, make sure you empty your bladder that you've, you know, gone to the bathroom because a lot of, you know, vagina havers, we get into this mindset of like, oh God, we've got to hold it in. We can't do it. So make sure you've emptied your bladder. So there's no like worries about that in the back of your mind. The other thing is, is make sure that you are positioning your hips more upright. When you do that, it allows for the juices to come out a lot easier. And you usually have to, if you have something inside, pull it out. This I know as the guy. (laughs) So something that can help push it along. It's not something you have to do. It does aid though, is when you're getting close to to orgasm, have either yourself or your partner, if if you're giving it a try, pull at the point where you're starting to orgasm. That does help to make you squirt. That's just how it works. Yeah, so. pull if you have whatever's inserted inside the vagina, pull out when the orgasm starts. So, yeah. all right. Our first question is from Mark, twenty-five years old from Pennsylvania. Should a dom eat pussy? I am really conflicted about this. On the one hand, I quite like eating a woman out, especially if she takes care of her downtown area. It can be very erotic. On the other hand, I do not like the visuals of the kind of submissive position you have to take to eat her. I don't think a dom should ever be on his knees with a sub looking down at him. It just does not feel right. Is there a better way to balance this out, or should I just not eat submissive pussy? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, the submissive pussy part just... First off, submissive pussy is great pussy. I mean... But dominant pussy is great pussy, too. All pussy is good pussy. What? Why are we... Why are we... Why are we distinguishing and segregating pussy eating? Um, I like switch pussy. Yeah, sw- there's switch pussy. There's 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 like not kinky, kinky pussy. person pussy. Yeah, I'm sure I would I wouldn't be that acquainted with it. Yeah, but it's fine. It's okay. good. It's, it's you know. So where do you want to start with this question? I'm gonna start from a personal story. Yeah, I think that might be helpful. So. Although, I mean, I'm sure you have this actually from the way that Mark's asking it, too. Because I know you're about to tell a story about me, but you probably have this yeah, story I, from the other, from the actual eating pussy end, yeah? As a dom? Yeah, I think I'm going to use the, the story example, and then I'm going to go a little bit further. So, I don't see eating pussy and, and sucking cock as any more or less submissive of a thing. Uh, you know, oral is oral, right? And... A few years back, quite a few at this point, because it was several years ago, Rigel and I were out at a kink event, and I did this whole scene. It was a caning scene, had you hooked up to the gingerbread table, super hot. I can't really give 
a great idea of what the gingerbread table is like. It's an amazing thing, but it is gingerbread person shaped with like all kinds of holes and you can like strap somebody down with rope and it was amazing. And afterwards, after a pretty significantly intense scene, after I beat the hell out of you, I decided, you know, Rigel deserved a blowjob, right? And not only that, but I, I wanted to tease him and, you know, drag it out and have fun with that. So I did some teasing and gave him oral. And actually, I decided at the end of that, I wasn't even going to get him off. I'd mess with him for a long period of time. But it was it was something that was a lot of fun. And afterwards, I had this little young, young, submissive person who. Oh, was it uh, was it a submissive or a dominant? No, I thought it was, or was, a switch. She she. As we all Doesn't do. Doesn't really matter. Yeah. But anyway, cutely done up person bounced over to me and was like, so I don't get it. Aren't you supposed to be the dom? Doms don't give oral sex. And I don't remember the exact wordings, but it was something along those lines. But it was very judgy for the fact that I was the dominant giving Rigel a blowjob. And my response to that is, I'm the dom. I can do whatever the fuck I want. Like that's the great thing about being a dom is you get to choose what you want to do. And no activity is submissive, especially like our general like sexual activities like oral or having sex. Like these things don't necessarily fall into, well, that's a submissive activity. I know male doms like to get pegged. Yeah, there, there's male doms who enjoy something in their butt because it feels good, right? So it's not about the activity. It is what you make of that activity. Are you deciding to do it? Is it something that you can take and make powerful for you? When you're talking about you don't like the visual of like looking up at her, well, bend her the fuck over. Like, you know, like there's things that you can do to change that particular visual if that's the thing that's causing you the problem. But I don't think that's it. Uh, <laughs> Reading the question, it sounds as though you have an association that oral is somehow automatically submissive. Yeah, I've got to tell you, um, and I'm going back to my switch end of things here. I, I can't think of a time that I've eaten somebody's pussy where I was topping and felt like I was submitting by doing that i mean first off i mean knees not knees i mean i i don't think that matters really but if you don't like being on your knees you don't have to be on your knees i mean there's there's about 100 other positions you can do oral in and teaser put your hand on her throat smack her around like slap her pussy i mean there's a lot of ways to go about this where you can do it in a, in a dominant fashion. But I don't really think that's the problem. As Cassie said, I think this is more kind of the association that you have between eating pussy and that being a submissive act. Yeah, so I think from there, it's really, you're, you're, you're going to need to work on if this is something you want to do, right? First, you got to decide, is this something that I want to stick by? Or do I want to sort of shift how I think about things, right? When we give somebody oral, we have the power to make them cream all over the place. We have the power of ripping it away and not allowing them to get off. There's a whole bunch of power that you can have. So you need to decide if that's something that you want to embody and make your belief, or do you want to believe because you're pleasing somebody, 
or that someone else is receiving pleasure, that it's a submissive act, right? This is sort of, we have to kind of choose the way we believe when it comes to sex. So this is this is something you're going to have to shift as far as how you perceive your sexual activities, if that's something you want to do. But it sounds like, you know, from what you said, it can be erotic. It's something that you can, that you enjoy doing. So embrace that. Like, I need some pussy. Yeah. Have fun. I, I, I don't have much. I just say, I guess a question that would ever involve me not eating pussy isn't a question I would ask in the first place. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I understand, you know, there is. a No, lot I get of, it. I get it. I'm more just for me personally. Yeah. Like there's, there's definitely specifically when you're looking at things like femdom porn, you know, the dominant is the woman who gets her pussy eaten and the man's down on her knees. Well, and I there think are connotations of that. I mean, even yeah. when you look at male doms, right, it's like getting blowjobs is a big. But part of that is how it's done. Yeah. Too, right? Yeah. If you have your partner tied up and you're eating her pussy and you're smacking her thighs and, you know, making her beg for it. Sorry, I'm talking about one of the last times I had pussy. <laughs> that is... Uh, I'm trying to place this now. Was I there? No. Okay. It's one of those things where it is what you make it, right? Like the activity is only as kinky or non-kinky or submissive or dominant as you put the effort and energy into making it. So next question, Brad, 41, North Carolina. What is it about women and degradation? Degradation is a subject that has cropped up a few times for me with partners, and I'm trying to get better at understanding the headspace behind it. I'm a bit of a sadist. I like inflicting pain on someone who enjoys it, but degrading someone doesn't really come natural to me. It doesn't feel good. I want to make my partner happy, but I can't connect to it. Yeah. So first off, I'm going to kind of swap words out here. I'm going to use, I assume you're talking about humiliation, which is essentially the same word, but I'm only clarifying that because I think when most people are talking about it, they use the word humiliation. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think most. I haven't heard degradation a lot. Yeah. Um, This is an interesting place for me because this isn't a place for me as a bottom that I connect with. I don't think, right? I'm getting your opinion on this. I don't think I connect with that. I think you connect with it some in certain scenes. I as a, as not, a bottom? Yeah. No, I I don't. I connect with being there for the dom's pleasure or being like But some people uh, would consider being called like cuz I've called you a toy and you like that. Yeah. Uh, and and telling you that like you're just here for being my fuck toy and things like that. And some people would consider that humiliation. Or See, I don't, but I guess you could consider it humiliation. And it's not. So I want to say it's not something that I connect with as a top, but that would not be true. It is very much something I have connected with as a top. Yeah. Pretty strongly. I feel, a few times if the person likes it. I feel like for you, it's more of one of those situations that once you're in it and the person's enjoying it you kind of run with it. But like when we've talked about scenes up front and we're talking about like the humiliation end, you're like, uh, I'll let you do the talking, uh, you know. And then that's not what happens. And then we get into it and you're dirty, calling people dirty fucking puppies and shit. So we're telling them that uh, pulling their blindfold off and telling them to look at the entire crowd watching what a whore they are. Yeah, you're right. So I think I learned something about myself. 
on this. Okay, go ahead. Uh, yeah, so go ahead and hop in. And let so, me think about this for a minute. With that note. And reevaluate my life. Yeah. With that note, I think some of it is when you're trying to connect with it, it's something that may be, for a lot of people, I, I don't really think that you're that unique, Rigel. Not in that way, anyway. You're unique in lots of ways, but not in the humiliation realm. Even for myself, who enjoys it and knows that it, I enjoy it, for a long time, it was one of those things that I sort of had to play with a little bit. And then when I got the reaction from my bottom, that excitement, that joy, it fed me. There's nothing better than having a bottom who hates something so much that they love it. That fulfills me. So part of this might be finding out what your partner likes to be called, like what they like to be humiliated with, right? Maybe it's name calling, maybe it's certain activities that you're telling them to do, whatever. But perhaps asking them, well, what do you like? That sort of thing. And giving it a try and seeing after you have their reactions, how you connect with it. Because trying to connect with it beforehand sometimes doesn't sit. Even for somebody like myself, who's been a top for a very long time, it took a while for me to have it in the front end. It was something that came after a scene kind of started and and progressed for it to feel natural and to feel good. It kind of felt when I first joined into doing more rougher scenes and things like that, a little awkward. Yeah. So I would definitely say uh, as somebody who that's a thing, you know, try it, really give it a go and see if you connect with it with a partner who likes it. You know, you're saying uh, I like inflicting pain on somebody who enjoys it, but not necessarily degrading. Well, I mean, the thing is, is that you wouldn't necessarily like to inflict pain on somebody who didn't like it, right? And you may find that to be the same with humiliation. Like, it's not something you would generally like, but if you have a a submissive or a bottom who really likes it and you go for it, you may find yourself getting into that role more than you expected. And as far as the headspace behind it, like I said, this isn't really something that's one of my kinks. You know, I will say, though, just as a bottomy, submissive person or who has submissive person who bottoms in some of my scenes, that there is definitely an aspect for people who play that lower side of, I like this because I don't like it, right? So that's probably part of it. Beyond that, I don't know if you have any other input on the headspace beyond that. I mean, I've talked to a couple of my bottoms about why they like it. Actually, one of the bottoms that we've shared, I had a conversation with her about liking to be humiliated. And she had this whole story about how, you know, she was done up like a pig. Her hair was like chopped and all kinds of stuff and that it was very fulfilling. And I was like, I'm curious, like, what was that for you? And I've talked to a couple others who have had similar answers, but I, but, but she worded it very well. And she said that it was one of those things that because it's such an emotional, like stimulant, that the up pull from it is amazing. Like there's this like feeling really down, feeling like, and it's almost like the giving up control. Like when someone has that complete control given up in a physical way, that's a really powerful thing. It's almost like a complete emotional give up, right? That surrender of emotion and the endorphins and stuff that comes along with it. And also the aftercare and the pump back up is a lot for her. So- I've heard that from a couple of people. When I think for some people, it plays in that aspect of, of somebody controlling you. It plays in that aspect of like wanting to be used, right? I'm just thinking of some of the scenes I've done with people where I've done this. 
and the circumstances in which they liked it. So, yeah. So hopefully that's helpful. But, you know, here's the thing. Uh, you know, I would say again, I'd say really try it, like really give it a go a time or two with somebody who who connects with that and see if it works well for you. But, you know, at the end of the day, maybe it's not. Maybe that's not your kink. And that's OK. Like if that turns out to be something you don't like, then you try it a couple of times and then you don't do it. Right. And that's cool. Our next question is from Ashley. Why is male on male action so shameful in most kink settings, but female on female is just fine? It seems like a double standard to me, and it's frustrating for men who are bi and wanting to explore both. So we've actually touched on this in the podcast before. A, yes. Yes. It's it's a true, real thing that comes up. From my experience and what I've seen is I do think that there is still more of a stigma between, you know, the the male-on-male action than there is with women, you know, interactions. There's still that it's not as sexy. And this comes from the vanilla community. This comes from outside of the kink community, which is it is hot for two chicks to get, you know, drunk and have the the lesbian for an evening thing, and that's super hot, right? And it's not the same way when it comes to men. And I think that part of this is even though we are a little more enlightened in the kink community, and I'm doing air quotes. Quote, unquote. Yeah. Enlightened. (laughs) And there's more acceptance. We still do carry things over from our vanilla background settings. And I think this is one of those areas where it still is pulled in. Yeah. I mean, that that's really the answer. Yes, it happens. It's it's a reflection of the way it is in the rest of society. Uh, I don't know what we do about it. This is actually a discussion cast and I've had quite a bit. And it doesn't just go to necessarily male-male interactions. You know, Cast and I had the discussion before, how many pegging scenes do you see in public settings? I've seen more lately, right? Like maybe in the last year, but not not a lot. Right. Again, why? Because that's not that's not socially acceptable in the normal world. And we carry those things over. So that is a problem. It is a double standard. I think that what to do about that would be an amazing larger conversation for the community as a whole to have. All right. Our next question is from Mark. Anything poly folks with PTSD should know? Anything they should be wary of that a non PTSD couple, which I assume means a couple where at least one of the partners doesn't have PTSD, may not need to worry about. So I think this is one of those areas where we try to overlap things that are not necessarily need to be, right? So if you have PTSD, right, this is something that you're going to want to talk to your therapist about your PTSD, particularly if it's something that's like work-related, things like that. Or like if it's not touching your relationship and you are having issues and maybe your partner's seeing it, things like that, that's something you really want to focus in on with a specialist who specializes in PTSD. And those things are going to be different for each person who goes through PTSD. Like everybody who has PTSD has it for different reasons and have different circumstances around it. And, and different triggers. Yeah. So that's going to be something that you're going to want to narrow down with your person that you're you're handling your stuff with. Yeah, the problem with this question is it's a very general question that really requires a very specific answer in terms of your exact situation, right? All I would really throw on what you're saying is it is good. I know he's talking about polyamory, but with kink even more so, but 
polyamory relationships, everything, it is good to have a really good grasp on what your triggers are, how you react to those things, making sure you're having those conversations with your partners. But again, beyond that, it's going to be super specific to your situation. And you really want to be talking to somebody who can help you with that. We refer people all the time. The NCSF has a kinkware professionals directory. We'll link to it in the show notes. So if you're not already getting help with that, and if it's something that isn't like work-related where you know, you're getting help through your workplace, I would highly suggest that, that you talk to somebody about that and make sure that you, again, know what those triggers are, know what your reaction is, know how to deal with them, and are able to work on that stuff. All right. So Karen, I'm recently out of a long-term relationship, ended in May, with a primary, and have been dating randomly since. I'm finding that I really want that primary connection again because I'm noticing being a secondary in these past few relationships doesn't feel as emotionally fulfilling. I'm doing my self-work to keep myself first and my happiness, but the loneliness of that connection doesn't feel like it's been fulfilled by being a secondary to several. Okay, so I know that this was somebody you were communicating with. What's the question here? Do you know? So the question is, do you need to have a primary relationship or is there ways to be happy as a secondary? Well, I think it's, there's a lot to unpack there, actually. I think that it's always good to try and learn the skills to be as happy as you can in whatever situation you find yourself. We were actually just having a conversation with uh, our clients the other day, just I just did a little training on it, I think, about, you know, when you're in situations that are not ideal, how do you find happiness in that situation, right? How do you find joy? How do you find the opportunity and make the most of it? And I think that those are certainly great skills, life skills to have. They're really not something I can try and unpack here in a question. But so I think that I think that you can definitely do things to help your mental state and, you know, to be happier in any situation. And I think that that's definitely something that you want to do. But I mean, for some of us, we want to have, I don't want to say primary or secondary, but we're happiest when we're having those kinds of close, intimate, maybe entwined connections with other people. And that's true for a lot of people. You know, we have a lot of conversations with people, particularly when they're talking about, say, like trouble in their relationships that are like, you know, i I want this person in my life, right? Ain't not just because I love them. That's always definitely a part. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But also I I don't I don't want to be alone, right? I like having a relationship. I like having a partner. I like having somebody there uh, who I know I can come home to, somebody that I know I can grow old with, somebody who's there to support me and for me to support them. That's a really, really common thing. As much as it's a good skill again to try and be the happiest you can in whatever situation, if that is something that you uh, you know, at a base level are going to want to feel happy, then that's something that you're going to want to find. And I don't think there's anything wrong or even weird about that. I think that's true for a lot of people. So yeah, I, I don't have like a lot more to add to that. I think there's hundreds of thousands of poly people out there who are looking for the same thing, right? Like someone to be more intertwined with, someone to come home to, those kind of connections and relationships. And it's very common. So if that's what you're needing and you're recognizing that, that's good that you know that that's something that you need, 
then pursue that. It's a, it, it, go after what's going to make you happy. Our next question is from Veronica. I'm in an open marriage and have a child. My husband wants rougher, kinkier stuff and might have found a partner for that. I have a chronic illness and prefer gentle, easygoing activities, but I'm actually having trouble finding people who are the same and don't try to push me for rougher stuff. What's the best way to explain that I require things to be gentle because of my health? It seems like most partners want things kinky and rough, even in poly groups. So I feel like that's important to throw in there. Yeah, I think that's important because that's exactly what I was going to go with, actually, is here's the thing. When folks are on social media, like your fet life and your open sexuality groups, everybody's talking about the rough stuff, like how I did this thing and I did that thing. And even you and I, right? Like we, we're on the podcast and, and what stories do we tell? We tell how we went out and tackled a fox and, and drug them through, you know, climbing up a hill, crawling on their hands and knees after being fuck salt. And we talk about beating up someone who's dressed up like a puppy and, and you know, doing a whole puppy play scene. Like, and like a gang, consensual, non-consent, bukake. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was going to cut it there, yeah. but I could go on and on. Yeah. But th- those are the things that when you're listening to our podcast is what we talk about. And there's a thing with that. No, you're making a face. No, I am. Go ahead. I'm thinking but about But how this. often even our listeners, right, hear us talk about, hey, we had some really romantic, sweet, loving sex or we just fucked in the shower today and had some regular vanilla quickie before having to go pick up the kid from school. Like what I'm getting at is people don't really in groups or on FetLife or any of the places where, you know, those things are going on are like, yes, today I had really sweet, soft, passionate vanilla sex. Like people don't do that. However, a lot of our sex is still vanilla. Like even for the most kinky of kinky people, it's still things that we do quite often for most of us. I would encourage you to not necessarily take what you see in in writings and things like that. And when it comes to actually conversing and talking to people, of course, when we're talking about sex and fantasies, a lot of times what people do because they're used to those being the things that are the draw for that to be their first go-to. Like, oh, it'd be great to like do a spanking scene or to do this thing or to do that thing or, you know, to have really rough sex is, you know, stand firm. Say, you know, this is this is not something that I'm interested in. I'm more interested in the sensual. You know, that's a good word to use for people. I really enjoy, you know, the connectiveness of having softer sex and just sticking to that. Like you don't have to necessarily explain yourself down to every detail, but shift the conversation with confidence. Yeah. So just a couple of things on my end with that. Number one, uh, I mean, if, if kinky, you know, kinky stuff, I mean, kinky is such a broad word, right? But if rougher stuff isn't something that you want, then I would avoid groups where that's kind of the focus, right? Like maybe, you know, if, if there's a group around you that specializes in like BDSM and you're not into the S&M or the bondage or the, the power exchange, then maybe, you know, maybe that's not the best place to find other people who like the same things. Um, but, you know, this thing about saying, you know, what's the best way to explain that I require things to be gentle because of my health 
I think just that way. I also think you don't always necessarily need to explain why you like what you like, right? I mean, if it's something that you need to bring up with your partners, these health things, because they're concerns that could pop up during sex, and so these people should know, then I don't think you should have any shame in bringing it up. But I also don't feel like you have to bring it up if it's not something they need to know, right? You don't need to explain your preferences. Anything else with that? No, I mean, that's what I was saying as far as like talk about it in confidence. Like this is what I'm looking for. And just like with any sexual activity, this is all about negotiation, right? Like this is what I'm looking for. What are you looking for? Does that match up? If it does, awesome. If it doesn't, well, it doesn't. Our last question is from Jamie, 42, Maryland. My husband and I had a bad ending to polyamory about nine months ago. Everything started out perfect. But once things came down, we started fighting about unmet needs in our relationship. We've taken nine months off and broken up with our other partners to, quote, work on things, unquote. But things are not better. And now both of us are getting impatient about keeping things closed. We're not better. And now we just resent each other for losing the good relationships that we had. At this time, we want to open up again, but don't want to end up breaking new partners' hearts or getting close to the two of us breaking up again. Should we open again? Should we stay closed? How can we do a better job of working on us as a couple? Okay. So I want to hit on something because I feel like this is a a misconception that a lot of polyamorous, non-monogamous folks have, which is the answer to fixing my relationship is ending relationships that I have with other people. And what the person just said, right, is that uh, they had a relationship, they had partners, there's now broken hearts, things like that. And I, I really just want to take- Resentful was the word. Yeah. Um, and I really just want to take a moment and and bring up that that is not the answer, right? If you're having issues in your relationship, whether it is ones that are highlighted by non-monogamy or not- The answer is not necessarily getting rid of people. It's addressing the actual issues that are there. And a lot of times when we do that, it causes more problems. And we're not actually working on the issues that were there. We're now trying to deal with the resentment, the anger, the arguments that are coming from now having the hard feelings from the breakups that now happened. Yeah, there's there's an important distinction here. We tell people, hey, if you're first starting to open up your relationship, like that's not something you want to do if your relationship's jacked up, right? It's a good way to have a bad experience for everybody. It's a good way to break up. Sometimes, depending on where people are at in their journey, we'll be like, hey, you know, you may want to put things on pause right now and not go out looking for other relationships until you get these things fixed, right? Or you get some new agreements in place or whatever the case may be. But once you already have other partners involved and now you have somebody that you love, and you're cutting that person off. I would say, and love doesn't even matter. Established relationships, you have feelings, you have connections with somebody. That's a that's a thing. Yeah, I was kind of using love as a shorthand, but yeah. And, and yeah, it's pretty resentful, pretty natural to feel resentful when you break that off. And especially when you break it off and then things don't get any better. So I'll agree with you that this is not the best way to address this, right? As far as what you should do, We don't have enough information on this right now. I'll say that if being open is something that, you know, one or both of you need in your relationship, then that should be the goal uh, is to get back to being open because otherwise you're going to stay resentful and stay having problems. 
if you have things that aren't resolved, it may be likely that you have some agreements and things that you should get in place before necessarily moving that direction. But this is really a situation where you need help and you need more help than you can get over this podcast, right? Because the answers here are going to be really specific to what's going on in your relationship. You know, what are the challenges that you're facing right now? What are the agreements that kind of failed, started causing some of these arguments earlier? So if this is the place that you're in, uh, set up a free call with us. We can kind of dive into exactly what happened, exactly what problems are still open and what steps you would need to take uh, in order to open things up again so that you can do that and not be resentful that now this is something that you need and you're not getting, but also do it in a way where you're not going to explode your own relationship along the way. Yeah, because the goal here is not necessarily to keep you closed forever, but to get to a point where your relationship is healthy enough that you can parallel those things, right? Where you can have a good, healthy relationship with your partner and have good, healthy relationships with others. Yeah, you can do that. You can go to atouchofflavor.com forward slash call, atouchofflavor.com forward slash call. And you can see our calendar, book that free call with us. Uh, We'll step over this. And this goes for Jamie and this goes for anybody in this situation. We actually talk to a lot of people who are in this kind of same case where one or both people uh, realized that polyamory was something that they needed uh, and they tried it and it blew up. And so they took a step back, uh, but now they're realizing that they can't do that forever and these problems still aren't solved and it's going to blow up again. All right. So again, at touchofflavor.com forward slash call, if that's where you're at, we'll talk to you. We'll come with a plan to get things going. All right. So that concludes our Q&A. And thank you so much for sending in your questions. We always enjoy them. And uh, we look forward to the next Q&A. Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question about kink, power exchange, or open relationships that you've been holding on to for years? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask or leave us a voicemail at 833-ASK-TOF-1. Don't have a baby on the podcast. We haven't even told people about the baby yet. You good? Seriously? Okay. You're talking about emptying your bladder? Mm -hmm. I have to talk to you about some of the studies they've done recently around squirting. Mm. Um, it is actually coming from your bladder. Mm. So there's been there's been some studies. It's more, you know, like before everybody's like, oh, it's not pee. It's like something else with like some of the chemical qualities of urine. It's actually urine with changed chemical qualities. So you are actually squirting out of your bladder. They, they've done some research on that lately. And they found that people who are like, well, I peed right before, like they actually, their bladders fill up all their having sex and then they squirt. And that's the thing for me, like, this is like a personal note. I don't, we can cut this out of conversation for me. I'm able to squirt better Mm -hmm. if I went to the bathroom right before we had sex. How much of that do you think is a mental thing that you're more comfortable There's because you don't think you're going to pee yourself? There's half of the mental thing, but also it feels different. Like it is a, it's a different, when you have to pee, you have that like urgency of like, oh God, I've got to pee that feeling. Everybody knows what having to pee feels like. Yeah. The, uh, like I'm going to squirt is 
much more of like a a seizing feeling that is not the same exact feeling. It's, so it's, it's a different feeling. It's just funny just because I, I was looking back over something even that we had on our blog years ago about squirting. And there's this whole like, you know, like squirting isn't pee. Like, how dare you kind of, you know, that we all used to kind of get around that because we all know like it doesn't taste like pee. It doesn't smell like pee. It doesn't look like it. It doesn't look like it. And you don't want to make people self-conscious, right? But the science that has been done recently it's like kind of modified urine is kind of the interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I saw like it was kind of like a meta analysis. I'm, I'm gonna try and dig it up now. <laughs> Anyways.